Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 237 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which we're calling Right Price Right Now. We're recording as the coronavirus pandemic continues to impact almost all facets of life and work, as learning businesses face the shift of some of their core face-to-face offerings like conferences and seminars to online delivery, there have naturally been a lot of questions about how to price. And there have also been questions about the pricing of existing online offerings, mainly should we lower prices given current circumstances? So this episode is dedicated to considering some of those questions. Before we get into pricing, we'll offer two reflection questions, which you can find in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 237. First, which of your offerings are unique, faster to market than the potential alternatives, and or able to bring people together for their mutual benefit? And then next, in a change to online, in which of your offerings can you sustain or improve on that uniqueness, speed, and ability to bring people closer together? We encourage you to keep those questions in mind throughout this episode, and we'll also encourage you to take advantage of the numerous resources related to pricing that we've published on the Leading Learning website. A great starting point for that is a blog post titled, How to Price Online Learning, which we'll be sure to link to in the show notes. And that post is helpful on its own, but it also links to several other posts that form a sort of, really a a mini curriculum on pricing. Now, You'll be able to tell from those posts, and many listeners are already aware, that we definitely have a clear perspective on pricing, and it would probably be be good to to state uh, state our perspective up front as a way to make our way into this discussion. So first, our view is that pricing is as much about perspective and perception as anything else. It's, It's really a form of communication, and it directly impacts customers' expectations and behaviors in both the short term and the long term. So you really need to proceed with caution when it comes to pricing. Now, second, pricing should be strategic. It should be something built into product strategy from the very beginning, not something that you tack on at the end. To the extent that you are changing a price, we encourage you to back up and treat an offering as if it is new and get really clear on answers to questions like, what are your objectives for it? How will it ideally be positioned and perceived in the market, particularly in relationship to any substitutes or alternatives? Where does it fit into your portfolio? Related to that last one, I'll note that um, we offer a simple tool called the value ramp that can help with that, help see where a particular offering 
fits into your overall portfolio and then help you get clear on the relationship between the value of that offering and the price of that offering. So again, in the show notes, we'll make sure to provide a link to the value ramp if you want to make use of that. Yeah, the value ramp is definitely, uh, well, valuable uh, here. So we will link to that. It also jibes well with the other posts that uh, that I've already suggested. Um, and we have some tools for, you know, not only gauging value within your portfolio, but uh, gauging value out in the marketplace against the alternatives that are out there. So definitely want to take a look at that. And this all leads very well to our third point about pricing. And that's that pricing should be based on value not on cost or purely on what the competition is charging. If you're going to charge, and there may be good reasons not to, and we'll talk about that some, then what you charge should align with your customer's perceived value of the offering. Now, to the extent that you deviate from pricing based on value, you need to have clear reasons for that. Again, this is about being strategic, and you need to communicate those reasons more or less directly to your customers and prospective customers. So with that strategic perspective on pricing that we just shared in those three points, we also have three tactical considerations for pricing that we want to offer. First, what's the value in your current offerings? So you have to honestly, you have to objectively assess the value. And to help you do that, we're going to reference a Seth Godin post from 2009, and we want to thank Dave Lutz of Velvet Chainsaw for reminding of this, us of this oldie but goodie, and we'll link to both Seth Godin's post and the Velvet Chainsaw post in the show notes. But I want to quote the most relevant bit from Seth's post, which addresses the impact of free offerings in the market. Competing with free was a, a newer phenomenon back in 2009, but it's obviously still relevant now and, and becoming further exacerbated by the economic hardships created by the novel coronavirus. So again, here's the the relevant bit from Seth Godin. People will pay for content if it is so unique they can't get it anywhere else, so fast they benefit from getting it before anyone else, or so related to their tribe that paying for it brings them closer to other people. So to help you answer the question, what's the value of one of your current offerings, you need to think about those attributes that Seth Godin highlights as reasons someone might be willing to pay. Uniqueness, speed, and the ability to bring your learners closer to others. Yeah, Seth has always been, uh, you know, a, a big champion of, of free, and that's you know part of the context in which he's uh, highlighting these points. If you're if you're not going to have to give stuff away, then you better be creating value in the ways that uh, that he discusses. And definitely, definitely, go read that Seth Godin post. Um, definitely read Dave Lutz's post as well. Now, a, a second uh, point here that, that we'll cover here, a second consideration is. Can you sustain or improve upon that value that we've just been talking about in going virtual? So when you go virtual, are you going to be able to sustain or improve upon that value? And so, you know, part of this is considering how you're going to bolster value or value perception. And, and, and really, this applies, you know, whether you're doing face-to-face or, or online, if you're, you know, if you're staying in a, in a face-to-face event or, or you're going to create something virtual. Either way, you need to be thinking about what are the factors that are going to, to bolster value. So, you know, objectively assessing, are you uh, getting truly unique content? What's making it unique. You know, if you go out and Google, say, your major session topics, if you're converting a a face-to-face event, 
how good are the potential alternatives to your content that come up? Um, have the speakers you're using delivered the exact same content before in places where your audience is likely to have accessed that content? And then asking, you know, how, how timely is it? Uh, how far ahead of the curve are we, if at all? Could we be more ahead of the curve? And we definitely agree with uh, Dave Lutz's point uh, that he makes in that post we've referenced that you can no longer do a call for sessions six, nine, or 12 months out and expect to be fast or first or unique, all those value points we've just been talking about. And then another important question to ask is, have you fostered a community that can't be found anywhere Else, Are you really bringing together a group of, of learners um, who find value in coming together to talk about the types of uh, content that you are offering? And are you committed to investing appropriately to ensure a really high quality, impactful experience? So, you know, are you designing for effective learning? Are you actively working with your speakers and session leaders to ensure that they really are working to engage the learners, really working to uh, draw on effective learning tactics and techniques? And um, I'll mention that we'll link to in the show notes a couple of resources that we have that may be useful in helping you think about effective learning and how to work with session leaders. We have a, uh, an andragogy resource, so the uh, look at adult learning. Um, and we also have a resource on meta-learning, so sort of ways to tap into kind of some of the underlying fundamental principles that go into making any learning experience, regardless of subject matter or level, um, as effective as possible. And then a third consideration that we want to raise is what's your existing relationship with your audience? Do you have a strong enough relationship that the moves you're going to make will be understood and appreciated? Meaning, are you viewed as a trusted authority? Are you the go-to resource for your learners? Have you engaged in building relationships and not just managing transactions? Yeah, that, I mean, it's such an important uh, point right now. We've stressed this before that um, really in any business right now, and it's certainly true of the learning business, you do have to be building those relationships over time. It's not just about getting people in, in, into seats, um, getting the registrations, getting the enrollments. Uh, have you taken that time to, to communicate with them, to, to understand them? This is certainly a great time to, to have a good understanding of, of your brand and, and how it's perceived out there in the, the marketplace, because that's all going to be extremely important as you as you start to make moves uh, around um, pricing, and um, and this is a good time I think to to talk about what some of the what the, the key alternatives are right now. There are a lot of different ways to approach pricing, but we'll cover some of the big things that um, are probably top of mind right now, and and just uh, cover some of those major alternatives. Now, one of them, and this is something we're certainly seeing um, a good bit of right now, is simply to go free. Um, as a as a goodwill or sort of you know philanthropic gesture, so this is a a special one time uh, or limited time price concession, really based on the the, the special circumstances that um, that we have right now. And, and if you do have that strong relationship with uh, with your customers, with your audience, um, this can be a, a great time to make this type of move. Um, this is basically how we perceive what the American Speech Language Hearing Association did recently. They, they basically enrolled 
211,000 ASHA members for free in their CE subscription. So this is access you know, to their body of continuing education content through June 2020. So just you know, one fell swoop blanket move. Um, they did this. Um, Jack Corson has is, is, uh, written about this uh, in, in our community and, and on LinkedIn. Um, but I think there, something that Jack wrote really struck me around this. He said, you know, basically implying that this may not be for everybody. And I think it goes back to this point about um, relationship. He says, you just need to find a true message that resonates with most of your members, especially those are, who are your main customers. And he said this actually more about holding the line um, on, on charging. So, you know, making the case that you should be charging, but it definitely applies to whether you're able to effectively do the, the free offering and how you're going to position that free offering going forward. And if it is really perceived as that, that goodwill, that philanthropic gesture, that, that's not going to set the expectation that this is going to be the new normal going forward, which of course is a, a big uh, potential danger right now around pricing. So uh, another option related to this idea of going totally free, but maybe not quite as extreme is to offer a, a deep discount, again, as kind of a, a goodwill or philanthropic gesture based on the fact of these very special circumstances that we find ourselves in. Uh, you know, the idea is that this would not be your long-term um, move, but that for a limited time, um, you would offer a deep discount. If you're going to take this approach, um, there are a few things to keep in mind. First is, is you have to make sure that that, that that discount is deep enough that it's going to be noticed, that it's going to matter to your learners. You know, if it's a, you know, 10% off, that's probably not going to be enough to really register and feel like, oh, they are really helping me in this time of difficulty. As a general rule of thumb, you know, you're probably going to need to discount by at least a third for it really to register as this kind of goodwill gesture. Uh, another thing related to this is that we would recommend if you take this approach that you don't change your published price, uh, especially if this is something that you've offered before. Instead, we would encourage you to uh, have a published price that's kind of at the, the level that you've um, offered before, the level that you would anticipate offering uh, going forward if, if it's a newer offering, and then offer scholarships or discount codes that people can use. And Related to all of this and this idea of just going free or discounting, you know, we're imagining that budget cuts are coming and that we're actually heading into a period um, when demand elasticity, which typically is not high for educational products, is going to rise significantly, meaning we're imagining that enrollments will be much more impacted by an increase or decrease in price than usual. Um, that said, we're hesitant to lower prices simply because it's going to be hard to know when the time is right to raise them again. And then people, of course, are going to get used to that lower price. So again, we think it would be better to keep published prices the same and then either make use of scholarships um, and make those kind of widely and easily available for any individual or organization that you serve who needs them or um, issue a certain amount of credit, so maybe in the form of a, a discount code or codes that can then be used when enrolling and training to get that discount. You could do this for every uh, individual member or uh, give organizational members a certain amount of credit to distribute to their employees as needed if you happen to work with, with members or, of course, just uh, your learners in general. Um, and I think that it could be a particularly powerful gesture to just make those codes widely available. So there's really no 
threshold. Um, it would again just contribute a lot to I think this idea of of goodwill. So if you're thinking of going that that route, just potentially doing it as a blanket approach to to discounts or scholarships, so that you maybe will get people to participate in a learning offering, a learning experience who might not have otherwise done that. Um, now, of course, all of what I'm saying amounts to the same thing as just lowering prices in terms of what you're actually bringing in in terms of revenue to the organization. But it gets back to what we talked about before, where pricing is about perception. And we think that this will be perceived very differently, and it will make it easier for you to revert to normal pricing uh, when the time comes for that. Definitely. So those are two big ones, you know, doing that uh, uh, one time or limited time, uh, go free as a goodwill gesture, doing the the deep discount um, as a goodwill or, or philanthropic sort of gesture. Again, this is a special one time, special limited time move that's based on special circumstances. But a third option that um, really many organizations may want to take a hard look at right now um, would be either to go free as a permanent move. So, you, you know, you, you take that uh, traditionally paid offering and, and, and make it into something that's going to be free going forward. Of course, you're going to have to be sure you have a, a clear plan for how to sustain that. And we'll talk more on that in, in just a minute. And then, you know, similarly, uh, to, to permanently shift price based on value shift, really. Um, and we're thinking mostly about shifting down, but this possibly could be shifting up. And you're going to do this when either, you know, based on the, the honest, objective assessment of the offering, um, you decide that the, the current virtual offering or the, or the source offering, which, you know, might be an existing conference or seminar, for example, you decide that that isn't really as valuable as previously thought. And to be honest, it probably hasn't been performing well in the market. So you, you have a, a, a basis there for saying, okay, we, we need to shift the price down on this um, permanently. Um, and then the other circumstance might be that you know, the virtual offering that, uh, that you create is significantly different from the face-to-face uh, offering um, or is a significant reconfiguring of an existing virtual offering, and those differences change the value. And if that happens, then, then the price uh, should reflect that change change in value. So now, of course, in all that we're saying, um, whatever is done in terms of pricing now, the long-term approach has to be sustainable. We know that revenue is the lifeblood of a learning business, and whether that revenue is profit or reinvested into the mission of the organization, it's important because it keeps the organization in a position to continue offering existing learning experiences and to develop new learning experiences. And so one aspect of sustainability that we, we haven't touched on um, yet, but uh, we're getting you know, a, a lot of, we're seeing discussion about, we're getting a lot of questions about is um, sponsorship. Um, and we know that there are a lot of uh, concerns today about how to move sponsorship um, and how to move exhibits and exhibitor fees from place-based offerings to online offerings. Um, you know, and the, the truth is, this is probably not going to be easy in a lot of circumstances, um, it's going to point to something that probably needs to happen anyway, certainly is going to need to, to happen over time now. And that's just simply building much stronger sponsor relationships, building much stronger, in, in most cases, corporate type relationships with those, you know, those vendors who might be supporting um, uh, your field, your industry. And, um, and Dave Lutz says about this that, um, that he or we, meaning Velvet Chainsaw, 
they don't believe that the exhibit booth model transfers well to a virtual or digital experience, um, but that sponsorship can be significantly leveraged as long as you're able to attract a good audience. And Dave says, as a general rule, build your model with fewer but bigger sponsors, not micro investors. And we, we think that that's a good approach to it, uh, fo- focusing on those, those bigger sponsors and how can you really package up value in that virtual environment for those sponsors, you know, giving them a speaking spot, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, we're not quite as um, uh, cynical, might be too strong a word, but uh, we, we believe that the exhibits uh, uh, can work in a, a digital environment, um, though it, it, it's tough. And, I, and it does require, again, building that relationship with the companies you're going to be exhibiting, really thinking through what the model is that's going to provide value. When we've done this, we've provided, for example, demonstration um, sessions. Uh, that's, that's tended to be much more valuable than trying to emulate that face-to-face booth experience, which, at least in our experience, and I think this is really what Dave is, is referring to, that just hasn't tended to, to go as well online. I mean, if you've had a different experience, we'd love to hear about that in, in the comments um, to this episode. Um, but that's that's kind of been our experience so far. I'll mention, too, that um, somebody who's doing really good work in this area right now, who's really focused on that, how do we build those sponsor relationships, those, those corporate relationships uh, over time. So it really is about value, you know, for the for the sponsor, for the organization, and of course for your attendees uh, or your or your enrollees. If it's a, an online course, um, the person doing great work on this is is Bruce Rosenthal, and um, we'll be sure to to link to um, to Bruce and his company and, and encourage you to follow what he's saying about this whole idea of uh, of, of sponsorship and, and corporate relationships. So those are some of our thoughts on right price right now. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 237, and the show notes will include the reflection questions. First, which of your offerings are unique, faster to market than the potential alternatives, and or able to bring together people for their mutual benefit? And second, in a change to online, in which of your offerings can you sustain or improve on that uniqueness, speed, and ability to bring learners closer to others? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear on Leading Learning, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. And to be honest, you know, in our in our own uh, work in developing relationships with sponsors, uh, it's important for them to, to know that we do have subscribers and that um, they're going to be reaching people through the podcast with their message. We'd be grateful if you would give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That'll put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but those reviews and ratings also help the podcast show up in results when people search on related content. So again, it's very important to us. And last but not least, uh, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us in those usual social media places like Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leading learning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.